Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis 24, 1 through 9. If you have a Bible, we would love for you to follow along with us. And if you don't have one, please feel free to grab one in the vestibule either now or on your way out. So again, our reading is Genesis 24, 1 through 9. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. What do you do when you have no idea what you should do? Where do you go when you have no idea where you should go. Did I ever tell you that the very first job that I applied for at Christ Community, I got rejected for? Ever tell you that story? Christ Community didn't want me. It hurts, it still hurts. I don't know if it's like, I haven't told you that because like I just blocked it out of my memory or it's just taken me the last decade and a half to get over it. I don't, I don't really know. Uh, but, but essentially, like, yeah, they, they didn't want me. So I, I just graduated from seminary. I'd been on staff for a year as a pastoral resident. Um, and part of our, you know, our pastoral residency, like we, we train up and we, we send out pastors, send out. I knew that, like that's the plan, uh, but I love Christ community and I wanted to stay. And at that point, you know, it was only one campus, it was over in Leewood. Uh, and I'd already, I'd already started applying for other jobs, all rejections, like not, e- not even a phone call, right? Just like, nope, no way. Like nobody, nobody wanted me. And so when a position became available at Christ community, you know, I quickly applied I immediately bombed the interview. And I still remember, like so clear, I can even picture where I was, uh, when the phone call came, you know, it was like, hey, buddy. Um, <laughs> we decided to go another way, you know? Uh, but we're really glad you're still a resident, right? I still have, like another year. At, so I was like, thanks, that's awesome, great. I mean, we were, we were crushed by it. Like, we didn't, know, we didn't know what to do. We didn't know where to go. We didn't know what was next for us. I mean, we're just like, just trying to figure it out. And we thought we had this thing right in front of us. But nobody wanted me. Now, in hindsight, whatever, okay? Don't you hate hindsight? It's like the worst, like, oh, it's all fine in hindsight, right? 
But in the moment, in the moment, we felt absolutely lost. What do you do when you have no idea what you should do? If you haven't already, turn to Genesis 24. We heard the first part of it read. It's, it's an entire story. It's, it's actually one of the longest single narratives in the entire book of Genesis. It's 67 verses. We're going to have to move pretty fast this morning. 67 verses dedicated to Isaac finding a wife. Really? Like, that's what we're going to do today? Is this like a little, a little rom-com thrown into the middle of Genesis just to spice it up? Is, is Moses like this hopeless romantic as he's writing? He just, I can't wait to tell this story. Is, is, it, is it a how-to manual on how to find a spouse? Step one, grab another man's thigh. <laughs> no, I'm out, right? Singleness is great. Not doing that. So why, why is this story here? Why so much space devoted to this seemingly unimportant story? Well, you have to think back in the narrative, right? Because God had promised Abraham and Sarah a family, a big family, a nation-sized family. And we've spent decades with this couple already. And they have one child of promise, Isaac. That's it. In the previous chapter, Sarah just died. So she's, you know, done having kids, right? And the, the, only, the only piece of the promised land that Abraham owns is the burial plot where he just put his wife. That's it. In decades. And so at this point, like if you're, if you're reading this story, like at this point, the promises of God are sort of in the category of super lame, right? Like that's it. And so Moses is writing it like the readers, that us as readers, and, and particularly for the Israelites as they've left Egypt, they need to know, like, can we trust this God? Is he going to guide us to the places in which we should go? So what is Abraham going to do? He's super old. I love how Moses keeps reminding us of that. Like every time he introduces Abraham, he's like, and like he's even older now. Um, and so he's super old. He calls his servant in, and he gives the servant two instructions. We heard this part of the text, right? Two instructions. Number one was, don't let my son marry a Canaanite. And this isn't, this isn't like the, the racist ravings of a bigoted old man, okay? That's not, that's not what's going on here. It's that they worship other gods. And that, that's a deal breaker in this moment for Abraham because God's promise is about a family and you can't have this family arguing about, well, should we worship Yahweh or should we worship Baal? Like, it's, it's not going to work, right? So don't, don't let him do that. And don't let him go back to where I came from. God had called Abraham and Sarah out. He had told them to go. He had been faithful to them along the way. And Abraham doesn't know what's next. He just knows they can't go back. So instead, go find him a wife from among my family. Now again, I mean, this is a little bit weird culturally, right? We're a very different place, but you know, this is arranged marriage. It's, it's very normal for them. Uh, marrying your cousin, it's kind of how it worked in the ancient world, okay? It's a little strange for us, but that's, this is all very normal for them. But you've got to keep in mind that when it comes to finding Isaac a wife, he's not just looking, and I'm not trying to be crass here, he's not just trying to look for someone who's 
You can have babies, right? Make this family bigger like God had promised. Like if that was it, that wouldn't be that hard. He's looking for someone with the faith of Sarah. She's gone now, right? This, this matriarch of the family of God. And Abraham knows that we, we need to keep these promises of God moving forward. So it's a, it is a big deal. So what's the servant going to do? Well, he goes. He takes 10 camels and makes the 530-mile journey to Nahor. It's like three, maybe four-week trip each way. You know, kind of like taking a camel from here to Dallas. I don't know why you would, but if you did, that'd be similar, right? And when, when they arrive, it's kind of as you'd expect. They're exhausted, they're filthy, and they're thirsty. And so before they even enter into the city, again, this is a servant, probably a handful of servants, right? He's got 10 camels with him. The author really wants us to know how many camels, right? Um, they stop at a spring before they even enter the city. And I love this because, like, the servant is there, and he's like, no time like the present. So he starts praying, like, even in that moment that God would do something. Look at verse, verse 12. He says, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing at the spring of water, and the daughters of men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please, let me let down your jar that I may drink. And he shall say, like, in return, like, respond back to me, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Okay, that's one way to do it, right? Um, so steadfast love, right? That, that, you see that? It comes out twice in, in this, this prayer. Uh, and and that's, that's the Hebrew word, hesed. It's, it refers to God's loyal love, his commitment love. In, in many ways, the servant is saying, God, would you keep your promises? Keep your promises to love Abraham, to do this thing with this family. Now, this isn't, this isn't just like a test like, you know, let him marry the woman who sneezes twice, right? Like that's not, that's not what's happening. It's kind of, that's what it sounds like, right? But I don't, I don't think that's going on. This is really more of a test of character. He's looking for someone with compassion, hospitality, and a willingness to serve. I mean, that's, that's who God has been in this story to Abraham. That's who Abraham has been. That's, that's who fits, sorry, that's who fits God's family. And so he's like, okay, God, I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna ask some woman for a drink. And if she offers to water my 10 camels, let her be the one. In verse 15, before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebecca who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. Before he'd even finished his prayer, right? And the author lets us in a little secret, like the servant doesn't know yet, but hey, we know, right? Like she, she's part of the family. And so the next question, like the audience reading this should be sort of like, okay, well, what about the camels, right? Is she going to do it, right? Everybody wants, wants to know. I don't, you're supposed to want to know. Uh, it's kind of what's happening in this, in this story. So is she going to do it? So look at verse 16. The young woman 
was very attractive in appearance, just, just so you know, little detail. Uh, skip down a little bit. Uh, then the servant ran to meet her and said, please give me a little drink, a little water to drink from your jar. She said, drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew for all his camels. And for those of you who are like, who cares? Like, she waters his camels. Like, how can that possibly tell us anything about this individual, right? What do we learn about her character from that? Well, would you have done it? I mean, 10 camels, again, the author is like very clear. This is how many we're working with here. Uh, 10 camels until they finish drinking, okay? According to National Geographic, I did a little research, okay? Uh, uh, A thirsty camel can drink 30 gallons of water in 13 minutes. Times 10. Anybody good at math here, right? That's 300 gallons. You know that five-gallon paint bucket you struggle to lug around, right? Uh, It's 60 trips with one of those for a stranger. Unusual individual, perhaps. And and so the servant, like he's, I assume he thought it would take like more than a minute to to get this far. Um, He's stunned, I think. And verse, verse 21 tells us, like the man, the servant, he gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. Look whose credit he's giving it to, right? And he asked her, who are you? And he's like, I know we just met, but can I stay at your house later tonight? Um, And she, she responds back, yes, yeah, you can stay with my family. That's fine. And she tells him who she is. And he knows. God has done this. And so verse 26, the man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me. So he goes to the family's house. You kind of expect the story to be over here, right? It's like, all right, she's it. She's the one. But like, she doesn't know that yet, Right? We know that, so it's another little secret the author lets us in on. So he goes to the family's house, he, he tells them who he is, um, and, but the question still remains, like, will she go? That's what Abraham said at the very beginning, like, or the servant said to Abraham, like, what if she doesn't want to come with? I mean, think about this. Like, this is, this is terrifying to leave everything she knows. This is, I mean, 500 miles, but that's like, that's like halfway across the known world at that point, right? To leave everything behind to marry a stranger. I mean, this is a crisis of faith, people, just like it was with Abraham and Sarah, right? Will she go? So the servant, he recounts the entire story. And I'll be quick. I mean, he he goes word word for word through every detail that that we just walked through. I won't retell it for you. But he does for them because he wants wants them to know, right? He wants to convince Rebecca and the family that this God is worth trusting and that she should come with him. And so he even goes back, he says in verse 39, he reminds them, tells them what the story was with Abraham, right? He said, I said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow. 
But he said to me, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. And he did. And he tells him, like, I prayed, Lord, let the woman ask that I asked for a drink. Let her, let her water my camels, right? And before I even finished praying, Rebecca came out. And you're related. Like, he goes through all of this for them. Even the part where he couldn't contain his joy. Verse 48. I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way. So what is she going to do? I mean, will she trust Yahweh or will, will she prefer the comfort of what's known and safe? Well, verse 57, they said, let us ask her. And I called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man and she said, I will go. Now, just to put a bow on it here, let's finish up the story, right? Some weeks in a long journey later, the author tells us how it all kind of unfolded really quickly. Verse, verse 63, skip down there. Isaac, I mean, this is like, he's been kind of absent in the story, right? Um, Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming, and Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, it is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself, and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done, right? He retold this whole story for him, like, God has done this. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. And Rebekah, full of faith like Sarah, keeps the promises of God moving forward. Well, good for them. How romantic, right? But what about me? Like, where, where's my little story, right? Some of you are stuck right in the midst of it. I'm like, okay, I hear these stories. It's so fun. Let me go back to the question we started with. What do you do when you have no idea what you should do? Because we get to read it, and we get to see the whole thing together there. But Abraham didn't know. The servant didn't know. Rebecca didn't know. None of them could see into the future. But you see, I think Moses wrote this story down for the Israelites, Right, the descendants of Rebecca, and for us to give us a picture of what it looks like to trust God in the ambiguity of life, what it looks like to follow him even when we have no idea where he's leading. And as I've, I've studied this this week, there's been Seven little words that I just keep rattling around in my brain. I can't shake them. I, they've been going on sort of like, a, almost like a chant in my mind. I think I've just needed them that badly. They've tasted to me like a cool glass of water, like a, like a full trough for a camel. There's nothing magic. It's not going to answer all of your questions. I mean, some of you, frankly, are going to be disappointed when I tell you. But when I read the story, it's all I can think of. It's all I hear over and over in the back of my mind. As you trust him, he will guide. That's it. As you trust him, 
He will guide. I'm convinced that's what this story is about. If you, if you don't know what to do, what next, what do, if you don't know what to do, what to do next, if you feel completely out of your depth, welcome to the club and drink in these words. As you trust him, he will guide. It reminds me of Proverbs 3. It's one of my favorite Proverbs. I think it's a summary in some ways of this, of this story. It's familiar to some of us, I'm sure. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Okay, fine, Nathan. What does that even mean? Like, what, is it, what does it mean for him to guide? And what does it mean for me to trust? Well, I think those are the right questions. Let's spend a little time with each of them. What, is, what does it mean for him to guide like, what do we learn from this story about God's guidance? It does not mean it's going to be easy, right? I mean, again, we, we read it so quickly, and it all sort of ties up nicely at the end, but like nothing in this story is easy. The journey of the servant, the trust that Abraham puts in the servant, the willingness of Rebekah to go. Like, there, there is hardship and risk all over this story. It also, it also doesn't mean it's going to be obvious, like, God's guidance just sort of falls on our lap, right? I mean, really, one of the things that I love most about this story is just how normal it is in many ways. I mean, culturally, it's very different, but I mean, it's how I experience God, right? There's no, there's no miracles in this story. God doesn't, like, audibly speak to anyone as he has so often in Genesis. This was a very unique story in Genesis, if you kind of understand where we've been. God is in the background the entire time, and yet you know he's working. It's just ordinary, which... It's a lot about, like, my life, right? And the reality is, even when God is leading you, you're still going to feel out of your depth. You're, you're still going to be a rookie at every new stage of life. You're still going to question your decisions and make mistakes and wonder which way you should go next. None of that goes away. But I promise you, as you trust him, he will guide. Because God is not, he's not obvious in this story, and yet he is obviously everywhere, right? His providence, his faithful love. You can't miss it, but he's not going to smack you upside the head with it. You may not even recognize it in the moment. It may only come in that word I hate, right? Hindsight. But here's what I think God's guidance does mean in this story. Not ease, not obvious. If you're looking for those things, I don't, I don't have them for you. What I think it means in this story is that he will go before you. That's, that's this story, right? Twice it says, he will send his angel before you. I don't, I don't know exactly what that means, truthfully, except this. If you're with him, he goes first. If you're with God, he goes first. And some of you, some of you are headed off to college soon. Which, by the way, we're going to miss you. Um, and I hope you know that no matter what happens, um, you always have a family here. 
You always have a church who loves you no matter, no matter what happens, no matter what you, you do, what you encounter. Like, this is always home for you. I hope you, I hope you know that. But as you go, and whatever, whatever school you've chosen, or, or for those of you maybe not going to college, or you're just starting a new school, new middle school, new high school, new whatever, right? Or a new stage of life for, for some of us. Like, something new is ahead. Whatever that is, God is already there. Do you believe that? And as you trust him, he will guide. That big life decision keeping you up at night, that new relationship, that visit to the doctor's office, God is already there. And as you trust him, he will guide. Yeah, okay. But what does it mean to trust him? That's a really important question, right? Because if you're not trusting him, you can't count on his guidance. I mean, God's not out there just to bless your plans, right? He wants to bless you and guide you in his plans. And so what does it mean to trust? Well, first, I think we learn a few things from this story. First, trusting God to guide you means obeying what you do know. Obeying what you do know. You don't know what's next? Like, join the club, all right? Who does? But are you obedient with what you do know? And we get hung up on, on these decisions. Not that they're, they're not important decisions, but God has told us a lot about how we should live our lives, hasn't he? Even, even how Abraham shows this in the story, right? Abraham's very clear on a couple of things. Like, don't let Isaac go back. Don't, don't let him marry a worshiper of false gods. And think about that. Do you, think, do you really think, like, decades ago, Isaac, or Abraham would have cared a bit who he married? I mean, think about Abraham himself, 50 years before this, had, had slept with his wife's servant to sort of, you know, wrestle God's promise to the ground out of his hands, right? To force God's hand. But 50 years later, walking with God, Abraham knows obedience to God isn't just right. It's better. The obedient path is the straight path. I'm going to meddle for a second. Because some of you keep begging God for guidance. But you're not even obeying him with the stuff you do know. Why would God give you more stuff to disobey? Right? You don't want his guidance. You just want him to bless whatever you figure out, right? He's not going to waste his time telling you what you've already proven you're probably not going to listen to anyway. If you don't obey God when it's obvious, why would you obey him when it's not? And so you might pray, God, guide me to a spouse. But you're willing to date people who don't worship the same God as you? Are you willing to have sex outside of marriage? Do you, do you understand the, 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 the difficulty there, right? Or maybe, maybe you pray, God, show me how to support my family, but... And you mean it, but you're willing to cut corners. You refuse to live generously. Start with what you do know. Obedience isn't just right, it's best. And with each obedient step forward, you will go further into his will. And as you trust him, he will guide. Second, trusting God to guide you means praying with expectation. 
Both words are pretty important there. I pray. If I'm honest, I don't expect much. But the servant is quite different, isn't he? Praying with expectation. You want... If you want God to guide you, ask him to specifically, regularly. Bring those requests before him and expect him to show up, to show you. And and then like watch for him to do so. I love that with a servant. He prays, he expects, he watches, and then he worships God for it. I love how James in the New Testament says, he says, "If if any of you lacks wisdom, I love that, it's great. Anybody? Anybody lack wisdom? Nah, you're good, right? If, anybody, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith. Pray with expectation. And finally, trusting God to guide you means holding on to a steadfast love. You just can't miss that theme in the story of God's, God's faithfulness, his commitment, his covenant, holding on to his steadfast love. Because the reality is, right, church, and you know this, like this kind of trust, if you're listening, feels super risky, doesn't it? It's terrifying. God's guidance does not mean that your life is going to work out exactly like you want it to. You know that, right? Even trusting him in it is, it's not, it's not what I'm saying when, when we talk about this. And yet, If you're with Jesus, we are in this family. Like through faith, Rebecca is is one of our ancestors. This is our heritage. And just as the servant said, blessed be the Lord who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness. That because of Jesus, friends, he will not forsake his steadfast love towards you. So that even when you still don't know which way you should go, You can always look to Jesus who made a way. Through his faithfulness, his life, death, and resurrection, and we can cling on to him, holding on to the steadfast love of Christ, knowing that even the worst case scenario, if you're with him, is better than the best case scenario without him. Do you believe that? As you trust him, he will guide and so, friend, I don't, I don't know what this means for you. But I'm just going to say, take the next step. I don't know what that looks like uh, for you. And gosh, that feels really risky, doesn't it? But whatever Jesus is asking of you right now, take the next step. Maybe it's a conversation with a friend just to make sure, like, you're understanding God's will well. <laughs> like, don't, don't do it alone necessarily. Maybe it's spending more time praying, fasting, asking God for wisdom. I mean, church, I mean, let, me, let me confess to you, and you, you know this, no surprises, like I've shared with you before, like my faith is weak, my doubts are many, my sins often can overcome me, my distractions are never-ending, okay? I'm, I'm in this with you, okay? Um, but 22 years ago, as a senior in high school, I decided to start taking Jesus seriously. And I've, I've had a pretty easy life. Like, I'll, I'll fully admit that. Easier than many of you. Um, I mean, my share of doubts and re- rejections, unanswered questions, I mean, sure. But I know many of you have, have had worse. And Kelly and I, we've talked a lot about this this week. We've got a lot that our family's trying to figure out, and gosh, we feel out of our depth and completely uncertain. 
There is very little in my life that I feel certain about. But I am certain of this. As we've trusted, he has guided. And I know plenty of you could say, you could preach this sermon way better than I could because you've lived this in, in deeper and more profound ways than I have. But for those of you who are on the fence, wondering what to do next, what are you waiting for? As you trust him, he will guide. Let's pray. Oh God, we need your help. This is scary. We don't know what's ahead, but we know that you're good. And we know that with Jesus, even, even if it falls apart, that you will make something beautiful. God, give us faith like we see in this story. Help us to live it out boldly and with joy. And give us the wisdom that you promise. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.